So we lost half of our chairs down to the basement, and that's okay. We are blessed to have a very big junior department, and that is fantastic. Um, you ready? Okay. I've been thinking a lot lately. And at our house, when somebody says, I've been thinking, kind of the response is, uh-oh, because we never know what's going to come out next. So today when I tell you I have been thinking a lot lately, I want you to know it's not just thinking. I've also been really in the Word, praying, contemplating, just doing all those things, um, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to me to come before you when, with this message. So when I say I've been thinking, it kind of encompasses all of that. So I've been thinking a lot about Paul this past few weeks, which is not surprising. We've been studying Paul here um, at church about his life, about his writings, about the context of where he lived and his uh, mission and his journey. I've also been thinking a lot about identity. And last month, I had the privilege of speaking to WOW about cultivating self-compassion. And when I was preparing for that, it just became really apparent to me that not only is it important where we find our identity, it's really important how we live that out. So I've been thinking about Paul, been thinking about identity, and I've also been thinking a lot about God's transformative power. The way God takes something, calls it, changes it into something else, but that core of what he created it to be is still often in it. So it's just this amazing transformation that takes place. So today we're going to look, about, look at how God transformed Paul. He went from a man who was bent on destroying the early church to a man who undoubtedly had the largest influence on that same exact church. Is it possible that God wants to do the same with us? Is it possible that God can do the same thing with us? If so, how is that going to happen? As we know from studying Paul the last several weeks, he experienced a total upheaval in his life and an enormous pause. I hadn't realized before we started this sermon series how many years there were between that road to Damascus, meeting with Jesus, to when he actually uh, started his mission, his writings, his journey. That was a long time, 10 years, maybe 14 years. On one hand, we don't have to have a disruption in our lives to pay attention to God. It is something we can invite him into our daily lives, any step of the way, any time and any day, we can invite him into our life to reveal himself, transform us. But like Conrad said a few weeks ago, it's often in that disruption, especially in that desert place, that God finally catches our attention. Of course, our life changes are not nearly, hopefully, as dramatic as Paul's was on the road to Damascus. Sometimes I've noticed we say things like, oh, if only I had a burning bush. If only I had this light in the middle of the road, but we forget about the things that went along with it. Moses had lost everything he had, all his power, his wealth, everything. He was in the desert when he saw that burning bush. Paul, Saul went from being this figure with power and authority in the church to for 10 years or more, not. So there's other parts that go with it. So our life changes may not seem as dramatic as Paul's because we're just kind of here doing our own thing. But I'm going to guess that most of us have experienced something in our, life, or in our lives that has caused us upheaval and for us to have to stop or to be in that desert place. I think you can relate to what I'm talking about. Maybe you've had a, health -changing, a life-changing health diagnosis. Maybe you're living with a chronic illness. Maybe you've had a job loss or you became a parent 
Maybe you lost a parent. Maybe you lost a friend. Maybe your children aren't growing up to who you thought they were going to be. Maybe you've had a sense that following Christ was supposed to be more fulfilling than what you're experiencing. Maybe you found yourself in a relationship full of brokenness and it's changed how you view yourself and how you view God. Or maybe you have that sense of following Christ was supposed to make life easier than it is for you. There's one thing I want you to know. It's one thing I want you to take away from this. God wants your attention. He wants to transform your life into something more for him. None of us here may be on a rampage to destroy the church. I'm guessing if you're here today, you're not on a rampage to destroy the church. Breathing murderous threats. And yet, I fully believe that God wants to, can, and will transform us just like he transformed Saul. But before we look more closely at our own lives, let's look a little bit more at Paul. I think it'd be fairly safe to say he was pretty clear on what his mission was and who he was before he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. Review a little bit about his life. Um, He was born probably around 5 AD in Tarsus. Tarsus, I had to look it up on a map, which was really helpful. It is on the south coast of modern-day Turkey, not that far from the Syrian border, which has been in the news a lot recently. From the beginning, oh, I'm sorry, his father was a leading citizen in the community and was also a very strict Jew. So from the beginning, Saul was steeped in the Torah and all the daily life that would have gone along with being a strict Jew. Uh, Scripture, laws, festivals, rituals, he knew He knew what was um, expected of him, and he knew what to do. So he lived in this Jewish tradition, but at the same time, he lived in a culture that was saturated with everything that was in direct opposition to God. So let's imagine Saul studying the Old Testament scripture day after day after day. It would be clear to him that Israel, a people set apart as God's chosen, who had covenanted, covenanted with one true God, whom God had delivered in the most miraculous way from Egypt, whom God desired to prosper, the same Israel in the scripture constantly violated the covenant again and again. So imagine Saul understanding this and growing up as he did in Tarsus, surrounded by those very things that had entrapped God's people from nearly the beginning, every form of idol worship in its many manifestations. And many of the Jewish people live with feet in both worlds at that time. So imagine Saul yearning for a purity to be found within God's chosen people. In his excellent biography on Paul, N.T. Wright suggests Saul may have felt a strong connection with those in Scripture who brought about righteousness through the zeal to follow God, to follow God's laws. And Conrad has already preached on that. So at a young age, the Saul, who's lived with all these different kind of things, he was sent for his education to Jerusalem. And there he becomes even more committed to, as he puts it, the traditions of his fathers in Galatians 1.14. He's a Pharisee of intense devotion. He's full of passion and zeal. So imagine what it must have meant to him as, as a young man who wants purity for the church. He wants to follow after God. He wants to bring others into righteous relationship. He hears now that there's a man a man who's a convicted criminal who was tried and crucified. This man who said that the temple, God's holiest of holy places, would no longer be found in that place. That's not where heaven and earth would come together anymore, but this man had said that it would come together in him, in him himself. 
a man whose followers said that he had been raised from the dead and was repairing to them again. Imagine how his righteous anger must have burned to hear about this Jesus. So when we meet Saul in Acts 3, we know he was bent on destroying this new church that proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus. But when we fast forward and we read his New Testament letters, we discover Paul has 100% settled his, the issue of his identity in Christ. He's gone from a man on a mission to a man on a different kind of mission, but he's the same man. God has transformed him. He has so fully experienced the grace and forgiveness of God that he's been released from those things. And then out of his assured identity flows grace, understanding, and how we should live, and why we should live that way, and why we should be reaching the world, and freedom. Paul clearly understood his freedom in the kingdom of heaven to be worth much more than even his physical freedom on earth. Okay, so I think we could all agree that's transformation. So what happened? How did that happen? How did it go from one to the other? We know Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and we know his life was changed drastically and dramatically. And we know from what we've learned over the past several weeks that he spent a lot of time back in Tarsus before he started, started his um, missionary journey. Conrad, I think, referred to it till he was called back into the game. So, of course, meeting Jesus changes your life. Inviting the Holy Spirit changes your life. Being filled with it. Saul, I believe, had to wrestle with all sorts of things. He had to wrestle with who he had been and what he had done. He had to wrestle again with scriptures. These scriptures, this word, I mean, do we ever think about the fact that this Old Testament, especially the first five books, this is the Bible that he read. This is the Bible he studied. This is the Bible he, had, he memorized. He knew this. It's the same exact words. He had to wrestle with all these scriptures again. Now, with the light that he was given of this amazing discovery of a Messiah who had died and risen again. He couldn't just add Jesus to the law. He couldn't just add Jesus to the word. He had to look through it through the scope of Jesus. He also had to wrestle with this call to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. Here he was. His whole mission had been to purify the church. And now God is calling him to this new thing through Jesus that God's call has always been and always would be to all of creation who would accept him. And in all his wrestling, he was never alone. He had the light of the Messiah and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? In all our wrestling, we are not alone. We also have the love of God. We have Jesus the Messiah, and we can have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. God had done something wonderfully new, but it was also something that had been prophesied. Imagine Saul, when he's going back through these scriptures and now knowing Jesus through that light of Jesus, discovering these promises were right there in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 31 through 3, which is one of the scriptures he surely pondered during this time. So there will be a, if you don't have your Bible, one in front of you. And so Deuteronomy 31 through 3 will be on page 164. Thanks, I do. So if you want to turn that to that with me. So we're going we're gonna to kind of drop into this. 
This is, Moses is addressing the Israelites. This is uh, at the very end of Moses' life, right before the Israelites are going to be entering Canaan. Entering Canaan, taking over the promised land. So Moses has just gone over uh, the renewal of the covenant between the Israelites and God. And um, now he's talking to them about blessings and curses. So I'm going to start at verse 1, read through 3. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Then I'm going to move down through. We're going to skip over the next part. But in this, Moses continues to come back to this idea when you, when you are trying to find God with your whole heart, when you're searching with him, when you're obeying him, he is going to give blessing and prosperity. I'm going to pick up again at verse 11. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it? And proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Moses is saying, he's declaring that understanding, believing, and obeying the covenant were not beyond them. That they could have it, that it was closer than they thought. And we're going to turn to Romans 10, 5 through 10. And the Pew Bible number is 918. Thank you. It was raised between the, the boys and the girls down here. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to read this. Verses, and you're going to hear some of what we just read in Deuteronomy. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness is, that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will send into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess that you are saved. So what happened here? Paul has taken a word that originally referred to the Mosaic law that was given as a way to life, and it applies to the gospel. He applies it to the gospel of Christ as the way to life. Do you see what that was? It was about the Mosaic law, follow the law, follow the law. And here he is, God has revealed to him that Jesus is the way. Jesus is not far from us. Jesus is in our heart. He's, it's near our mouth. We can do this. With Jesus, with God, we can do these things. The gospel message puts Jesus within easy reach. Talk about a transformation. So was Paul a special case? Is a life-changing encounter with Jesus possible for us today? 
is a kind of deep knowledge of who Paul was in Christ just for him? Or can we experience that kind of 100% settled identity in Christ today too? Can God transform us? Do we want him to? Do you want him to? Do you want transformation in your life? Do I want transformation in my life? I fully believe God wants to transform us. He wants to transform our, our, our understanding of our identity of who we are in him. There's a lot of ways we identify ourselves. I made a whole list of them. So often we can identify ourselves with how we uh, relate to one another. So I'm a woman, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm an aunt, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. So that's in relation to other people. Other ways we can relate to is what we do, what we like to do. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm, what else am I? What? I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm a, oh, I could say I'm an athlete, but if you ever come to volleyball club, you'll see that one's a little <laughs> tenuous. <laughs> um, things we do, we like to do. We identify with ourselves uh, who we are in um, relation to how other people see us. So recently, I was at a volleyball tournament for Naomi, and I introduced myself to one of the moms, and she said, oh, I knew you looked familiar. You're that lady who's always running. I'm like, okay, I'm not really that lady who's always running. She's like, well, it turns out I run through her neighborhood at the very beginning of my run, but her family called me in the past the lady who always runs. <laughs> so sometimes we're identified by how other people see us. But we also identify with a lot of other things, identify ourselves, and they are not necessarily healthy things. We are constantly bombarded with messages of who we are. And it's very easy to get these things into our spirit, into our soul, that are not who we really are. So this idea of we need to know who we are in Christ is so very important. We don't need to take a trip on a donkey with a blinding light to experience God's transformation. He has plans and purposes for each one of us here, and he is just waiting for us to join him in the transformation process. So if you are thinking about transformation, if you want it, I've got some ideas, some suggestions for you. And these are things I do too. Begin with asking God to join you while you take a hard, clear look at your life. Start with this question, what's my identity? And write down the answers, all the ways you identify who you are and how you know who you are. Write down what is feeding those messages of your identity Write them down. I suggest put them away for a day or two and then pull them back up and prayerfully, prayerfully consider them the next day. It's important to contemplate and identify what you are wrestling with. God wants us to wrestle. You know the saying, the struggle is real? It is real. But I believe when we invite Jesus in, when we invite the Spirit in, when we invite God in, it goes from struggling to wrestling, and there is a difference in that. It is choosing to face life as it is, invite God in, and it becomes a different kind of story. Invite the Holy Spirit to activate transformation in your life. And I've got nine words for you, and this has been one of the biggest transformations, uh, places of transformation in my own life. Nine words. You ready? Read the word, read the word, read the word. That was nine. I counted before I did it. Read the word. This book is full of who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ. Another thing to do, root out the weeds. We all have them. Ask God to expose them to you. One especially is focus on asking what lies 
Have you accepted this truth about yourself or about God? And then work at getting those out. Get them out and replace them with truth. Confess sin and live as forgiven. Do you ever think about living as forgiven? What does it mean to live as forgiven? Okay, so we can say, I know Jesus died on the cross. He was raised, raised again, and he died for my sins, and I am forgiven. I am a forgiven child of God. But do we walk that out? Do we live as forgiven? When we confess our sins, he is faithful and cleanses from those things. So what does that mean? Does it mean that I believe that I am forgiven? And how does that impact what I do? Let's look back at Saul for a second. This man was responsible for violence, arrests, destruction of families and livelihoods, the death of people. But when we read his letters in the New Testament, he is not sitting around wondering if God really forgives him. He's not withholding forgiveness from himself. No, he knows he has been forgiven, and it's because that, that's where so much of his understanding of grace flows from. Ask God for a personal encounter with Jesus. He's already sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Why would he withhold his son now? We want a personal encounter with Jesus. Let's imagine what it might start to look like if every one of us started to really experience transformation in our lives. It doesn't have to be dramatic. In fact, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. She's been dealing with a multitude of transitions in the past year, as well as she's the sole caretaker of a child struggling with mental health issues. So last week, a couple weeks ago, we were on the phone, and she was completely out of sorts. I mean, she was really cranky about everything, which is not how she normally is. Got off the phone, I'm like, well, that was weird. And she called me back a few hours later. And she had had a pip- an epiphany about her mood. She had figured out why she was in such a funk. So she was supposed to be gathering two or three items to take with her to her Bible study group. She was in a new table group. And you would use these items as a representation of who you are to introduce yourself to the group. She said if she had been asked to do this a year earlier, no problem. She could have found what she wanted immediately. But now this easy task was deeply unsettling to her. She hadn't realized it. But what she realized was everything that had given her identity, her volunteering, her helping, her serving, teaching, feeling like a good parent, being a wife, all of this had been stripped away from her in the past year. Because of her present situation, she can't commit to activities, not even regularly committing to be a Bible study or a small group. She can't volunteer at the soup kitchen anymore or with Bible school, because her husband is currently working abroad. She is parenting alone with very few breaks. And because of her child's escalating anxiety and depression, it's a very, very intense situation. She can no longer rely on her past parenting of being a good parent to know how to do it in this situation. She has found herself at a loss to find something, anything that she could use that represented her identity and worth. That wasn't her epiphany. That was her realization. Her epiphany was that none of these things should have been where she got her worth from from the beginning. She said, I don't even know when it happened, but it has. She's a believer. She's a strong Christian. She hasn't wavered in her faith in God, and yet she is in this really, really hard time. There are days she wants to be doing anything else. We laugh sometimes. We make jokes about what we'd rather be doing. (laughs) 
And she, someday, she, that's the truth. She'd rather do anything else than continue doing things the way that need to be done in her life. But every day now since, she keeps inviting God into the situation, into it. She, she was struggling, but when she invited God into it, it's changed her struggle into wrestling. And we know which side that can win. We know that God's already conquered fear and death. And transformation is taking place in her life. Did the situation change? Not really. Is she changing? She is. We've already had tastes of what, um, here at Etown Mennonite, of what we've been experiencing as what I would call the activation of the Holy Spirit, of gifts being called out, of people stepping into leadership roles, of all these different things, of revival. Just want to encourage us, what would it look like if we 100% settle our identity in Christ and then we are stepping into these things within our church it looks for, and we're already doing these things, but let's think how much bigger it could be. We're caring for each other's needs. We have new trust in leadership and church authority. We have unity in leadership and ministry. Testimonies, keep hearing testimony after testimony of understanding and change and forgiveness. This is just the beginning, because as I'm going to share next week, when God calls us to transformation, and he will transform us, it's not for us. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he wants to change our lives. But he is transforming us so we can be transformers. This is not just for us. The good news is for all people. So when we find ourselves transformed, when we are actively joining with him for transformation, we immediately become transformers with him. And so that, that is what he has for us. Uh, one way that has been helpful to me, and I know others in you, is the discovery class we did a year ago in the spring, or in the winter. And that was, during that discovery course from Lancaster Mennonite Conference, we had a morning, we had Sunday school around the theme, we had a sermon around the thing, and then there was an extra class in the evening that uh, those of people signed up for and did. And it goes through all sorts of things. What's my calling? How has God created me? Uh, you write your own mission statement. You just start to focus and put these pieces together, and it's, it's great. It was really eye-opening to me. We are holding a winter Bible school starting in January for the district. So that's for our church and all the churches in the district, and we are going to work through that discovery course again. So there'll be announcements in the bulletin coming up, but I just want to put that in the back of your mind to start thinking, maybe this is something I'd like to do. Maybe this is a way that I can find out more about myself, about my identity, what I'm called to do. Maybe you did it last time and you want to do it again. That is great. So that is one way that you can actively partner with this. But I just want to remind you, God is so powerful, he is so faithful, and he wants good things for his children. When we invite him in and we ask him into our lives to expose the things that need to be exposed, he never does it with shame and guilt. He does it with grace, he does it with loving kindness, and he wants to transform us. So it is a privilege to be here with you. Um, we'll be speaking again next week about transformation. And so thank you for today. Let's go ahead and pray. God, you are a great